Support for Talking Art on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at qcbt.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Marion McGinnis, a founding member of the Gateway Redevelopment Group about historic preservation. Welcome, Marion. Thank you. Thanks for having me today, Carolyn. Architecture falls under the wide umbrella of the arts, and you've been active for decades, really, in preserving historic buildings in the Quad Cities. Describe where the Gold Coast area of Davenport is and what variety of architectural styles will someone find there? Well, the Gold Coast, or uh, formerly the Hamburg Historic District, sits just above downtown, just above really the old part of downtown that was uh, originally settled by the Germans. Uh, so right above where Washington Square Park used to be, the uh, boundaries are sort of 5th to ninth, Ripley to Vine. Um, and uh, within this are found houses that uh, the first construction started about 1848, and it goes up into the the second decade of the 20th century, I would say, mostly. And so there's really all kinds of homes. This was not a planned community. Um, as people filled up, the German uh, folks filled up sort of the lower levels of the city, uh, people started moving up into the hills. Um, and you have everything from um, grand Italianates to humble uh, cottages to um, um, four squares that came later. Um, to um, what we call vernacular, which is sort of a gable front house uh, that has Italianate and Greek revival elements, uh, sort of simple two-story, you know, box houses, uh, Queen Anne styles uh, of all kinds, shingle styles, uh, Italian villa, the only one in the in the city, um, the only castellated, which is a house in the in in the city, which is. Um, it, it looks like a castle at the top, and we call it the castle. Um, uh, Mission-style homes, just everything you can imagine that was built, and all sizes that were built in that period of history are here in the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. I found it interesting that all, mirroring the variety of architectural styles, people who live there, those German immigrants, really came from a variety of economic backgrounds. So it was a very diverse community. Yes, and it was always diverse. And that's it's still a very diverse community. And when you look back at the history, you will find often that someone who was living in one house might be working in the factory or business of someone nearby. So it was not a segregated sort of area. Uh, or segregated community in terms of economic. And and that's really true of this population. Uh, Many of the early Germans, and many people know this story well, but many of the early Germans who came to Davenport came after 1849. Uh, They came from a part of of the German principalities. There was no Germany in 1849 uh, called Schleswig-Holstein. And they lost a war, basically. And they came here. They tended to be very liberal. They were abolitionists. They didn't believe in religion. Uh, they built a German school because they didn't want their kids being taught religion in the Yankee schools. They were educated. Some of them had money. Some didn't have money. But they were pretty smart people, and they, you know, had some learning. And so they, you know, they were many were successful in different enterprises, uh, whether it was uh, manufacturing, banking, publishing, bakers, brewers. You know that that's often in the neighborhood as well. But they, you know, they went into many industries. They they were capitalists. Um, they went into new kind of industries, glucose manufacturing. There were a huge number of washing machine companies in Davenport in 1900. And the people who helped to found those were in this neighborhood. 
uh, but also their workers. And so, again, you had people of humble means as well as great means. So, Marian, tell us more about the home you live in, which is historic and is in the Gold Coast. When was it built and what can you tell us about its history? Well, it was built in 1868 and it was uh, the home of Henry Lisher, who was the publisher of the Democrat newspaper, which is the largest German language newspaper in Iowa. And he then became one of the founders of the German Savings Bank. He became a wealthy man, but he didn't necessarily start from wealth. Very typical. The German Savings Bank became the American commercial bank, one of the few banks that survived the, the later depression. He did very well and he raised his family here. He came, um, he was not an immigrant. Um, his parents weren't German immigrants in the St. Louis area, but he came here in the 1860s to run the new, a newspaper here, a German newspaper, and he was very successful. Um, he uh, lived always in this neighborhood. He lived and died in this house. Um, after it was built. Um, his daughter married um, a, an architect named um, F.G. Clausen, and they lived next door in a house that is still there. And um, F.G. Clausen was responsible It was for many, many uh, buildings that we know and think about now um, today. The Redstone Building, the old uh, Peterson um, Building, um, uh, Hibernia Hall, uh, many buildings around the city were designed by F.G. Clausen, who was a German immigrant also. Um, and Clausen built many of the houses in the Gold Coast as well. He did commercial and residential architecture. Um, and then his son became an architect. The Lishers were a very typical family in that they were involved in um, not just business, but in sort of the well-being of the city. The uh, Clausen's son, Rudy, was on the first levy commission. Uh, he was a very active member of the Levy Commission, as well as being an architect in the city. And um, so they were involved in the life of the city very much. And Clausen, uh, he came here in 1869. He married Blisher's daughter in 1871. They lived next door. They eventually moved into the house as their children grew and Mrs. Lisher passed away. He added to my house. He did not design the house that I live in, but he added to it. And then uh, he actually lived in this house and died in 1940. So he always kind of lived in this neighborhood. My house is a sort of Tuscan revival, uh, or that's that's the, the way it's defined. It is a very large brick structure with a gable front. It has brick built into the, the sides of the, the front of the house. It has brick pilasters, which are projections that are don't sit proud of the brick, but are projections of brick. And that's the definition of a pilaster. It has a sort of a decorative brick element over underneath the gable roof. And it's very impressive because it sits very high up on the north side of West 6th Street. So it's very visible from the uh, 6th and Gaines intersection. Well, what's so extraordinary when I'm hearing you talking is just the thought that when you live in one of these homes, you're not just inheriting the physical structure itself, but you're inheriting the whole history. And you're really part of this lineage that dates back, in your case, over 150 years. Yeah, you very much are a caretaker. And that's the way mo many of us feel. We know we're just passing through. This house has been here 
you know, before long before I was born, and it will be here long after I'm gone. Um, and so you truly are a caretaker. Now, we had to do a lot of work to this house and in the Gold Coast, and this is a typical story. Many of the larger houses were turned into apartments and were turned into even sleeping rooms. There was one across the street that had 14 sleeping rooms, uh, and it's not that gigantic a house, so you can imagine how tiny the rooms were. Um, so um, at my house, after Mr. Lisher, after after F.G. Clawson died in 1940 and his wife had passed away a few years earlier, this was turned into apartments. So as the war was coming on, there was a big need for apartments. And so these many of these houses were turned into apartments and they weren't necessarily bad apartments at that point. I mean, there were huge numbers of people working at the arsenal and they needed housing and there was a lack of it. And so there were some, this was still considered a nice area in the 1940s. But then as the 20th century went on, it became less desirable um, and um, people began moving out. And this um, state apartments, when we bought it, it had been closed up by the city for violations. Um, we bought it. We immediately, the first weekend, we owned it. We took out several walls that had been added and opened it up to back to uh, more of its original floor plan. And so uh, we've peeled back the layers in this house and, in you know, then tried to understand, okay, how was it originally structured? Um, and so um, we haven't necessarily put everything back to what it was in the beginning, um, but we have um, tried to maintain, you know, any historic finishes where we would have to take one wall out we would hold the old materials and put it back in another place. So you would reuse lots of materials in this house. I found some original faux graining in the house. Everything had been buried and all the woodwork painted this kind of dreary brown. And I kind of taught myself to um, faux grain, um, uh, kind of invented uh, patterns. And, um, and so I did a lot of faux graining in the house. And that certainly, you know, that's the kind of thing when you're doing um, preservation or you're doing restoration of houses, a lot of it's just plain hard work, but some of it is fun and sort of learning a new craft and um, a new way of doing things. And I, I had the opportunity to do that in this house quite a bit. And, you know, you brought up a, a point that one of the difficulties with restoring an older structure is the lack of skilled craftspeople that we have now, so that you were teaching yourself how to do that faux painting. And and I'm thinking about the intricately carved you know, wooden objects that older homes have, like newel posts and spindles and, and the custom-built cabinetry and, and all the exterior elements that you don't see in newer homes. How, how do you find people with the skill and knowledge to rebuild historic structures now? It's difficult. There, there You will have, you know, there will, there will be people. Uh, there is a uh, there is a cabinetry company over in Milan, and they still do things the old way if you want them done the old way. You know, and so it's we're very fortunate to have people like that. Sometimes what you have to do is you have to train, um, you have to train the people you're working with. You have to explain why, no, you can't sandblast this brick. It's a terrible idea. You'll destroy the skin of the brick. Um, you, you, you know, no, you can't, you can't, you don't want to water power wash, you know, um, siding, wood siding. You'll blow moisture up into it and it'll never come back out. Um, and so you, you, you have to educate yourself on what the proper um, applications are. And it is really science. It's not about, oh, preserving every little thing, but it's about the science of an older house. It's different. Uh, older houses breathe differently. They're designed differently. And if you 
block up the systems that make them work, then you really can damage the house and it doesn't, it won't function as well. Well, you'd mentioned science and it sounds like really there's this synergy that has to occur between science and and art. You have to understand the science of how materials, certain materials and spaces can disintegrate, but there's an art to good plaster work and working with wood. And you've commented before that working with your hands and developing these specialized skills is a form of artistry that we should invest with in terms of the younger generation coming forward now. Yes, I believe that. Um, you know, we we are having um, we are having an issue with our older craftsmen who are leaving the business. And I often think we we sort of we talk about programs for children, like how do we train them? You know, how do we get them involved in trades? Um, but sometimes trades don't include these specialties. And I think there's for you know a kid that might have um, be an artist or have artistic um, inclinations or creative inclinations, maybe they don't want to be a fine artist. But you know artists do work with their hands, and um, these are great opportunities. Um, it is it is uh, much more exciting to work on a house, an older house, if you learn the restoration techniques um, and you do it well. And again, it's not necessarily rocket science either, you know, it's just learning the techniques, um, then you're going to probably get more satisfaction out of life than assembling, say, a pre-built home somewhere, which is, you know, screwing together a few bolts. And I know that houses will be built like that, and that's fine. But but this is a great opportunity for kids. And I think I think that kids who who have an artistic sense might really find a rewarding life in um in in craftsmanship in in becoming um uh, an apprenticeship program perhaps that uh, allows them to learn these older crafts that are really going away well, a future career plus it plus it would give you such a sense of accomplishment i'm sure looking back into these historic areas um you know there's been recently so much uh so many efforts going forward in terms of um redesigning downtown Davenport and really having that good design connect directly to the neighborhoods surrounding that. And that would include the Gold Coast. And hopefully that will bring more families and people down to that area who are interested in their restoration. Yeah, I think people, I think one of the reasons why people enjoy our home tours is not that everything's all decorated. It's so fancy in our homes. You know, we just live like people, you know, but they do like seeing the elements of the house, the historic elements. And I think young people, I don't think they want to live in big boxes out on flat prairies. I think they like eclectic things. Um, you know, we have the architectural rescue shop, which is part of GRG um, that you mentioned at the beginning. And we sell architectural salvage there and, and items that we um, that we take from houses or buildings that are being taken down, we're allowed to go in and harvest. And that's how we fund our our mission, right. which is saving abandoned buildings here. Right. And we Let's, have young people coming in and they love those. They love those older elements. They mm -hmm. love living in older buildings. Right. So, Let's talk more about the Gateway Redevelopment Group, which you just mentioned again. You're a founding member. What right. is that group's mission and when was it started? Um, it was started in the early uh, 2000s, about 2002, 2003, and our mission is saving abandoned buildings in our neighborhood, and that is the Gold Coast, um, and it is using our skills, our financial resources, skills, 
um, and expertise to do that. Um, and we are an all-volunteer group. Uh, we don't have a staff. Um, um, we have people who, um, you know, we, we, you know, and we, we have houses that were endangered. We had a lot of houses that were endangered, including the Jip Home and Grocery which is a historic building in the neighborhood, and it was about to be demolished. For people who have not been to your architectural rescue shop, and I know it's hard now during COVID, but it's this really gem of a building. The first time I went by was, was, I don't know, a decade ago, and I drove by and was just struck by how charming it was. Where is it located, and why is it called the, why is it referred to as the JIP? Okay. Well, it's called the Jip because it was the the store and home of Christian Jip and his family. It is located at the southwest corner of Eighth and Gaines, um, in Davenport, and it is uh, the store is a long brick building, um, one story, a gable front, and then the house is sort of an Italianate house that sits not giant but two story house that sits attached to the store. When it was actually surveyed for um, to be included in the National Register, everybody assumed that the store was a later 19th century addition, but that's completely wrong. Um, what it, the way that the structure was built is that store uh, was built in 1868. And Christian Jip, immigrant, and his wife Fanny came, and he and Fanny and their three daughters operated the store and lived in it for um, 10 years. And then in 1870, in 1878, he got enough money to build uh, or means together to build the brick addition, the brick house. And so then they moved into the house and the Jip daughters continued to live in the house. Um, and the last one died in 1945, living in the house. Um, so this was a family again. Now, the Christian Jip was not a man of extreme means. Um, he was not someone who made a lot of money. There were certainly uh, people wealthier in the neighborhood than than he, but he was um, well thought of in the neighborhood. When you do research in the neighborhood, you find him witnessing documents for people and things like that. So, you know, a well thought of person, I think. But, you know, the storekeeper, it was the local store, one of several in the neighborhood. Um, and that's where he lived and that's where he died. Um, and so um, it, was, it had fallen into disrepair. It had been made a laundromat at one point. Then it got closed up. The, the, the floor of the store had completely collapsed into the basement. Um, the uh, back wall of the house was, was disintegrating, falling down um, in, um, inside um, a later addition in the back. So it, it was dramatically changed and it was a tremendous amount of work and it was like um the the person who had the the staffer who headed up the historic preservation commission in davenport in his letter said if this building can be saved any building can be saved and really it was in that condition um our website is grgdavenport.org um and you can find their um information about the restoration of the jib and many other buildings that we've worked mm -hmm. on or that have been worked on in the neighborhood. You can, so, that, that website is so interesting. It covers many of the buildings that you've helped salvage. And really the the gem I feel is, is your architectural rescue shop, but there's so many more. Your organization recently sustained a, a huge loss when a building on West yeah. 5th Street, which I think affectionately has been known as the whistle stop burned down, sadly. Do you, do you know what happened with that building? And 
Why was the loss of that structure in particular so tough for you? Well, it's kind of heartbreaking because we really had to, um, the city was going to demolish that property about five years ago. Uh, GRG stepped forward, said, we'll take it. Um, it went through to the county and we were able to get possession of it. We had, um, it was literally falling apart in the back, an addition that had been um, probably done not well, had allowed water in. And so we had spent about $50,000 of money that raised through, you know, volunteer salvage operations and selling of that salvage um, to uh, stabilize the building in the back and to put a brand new roof. We had spent several thousand dollars to have professionally removed asbestos shingle uh, to original to to um, uncover the original clabbered and we were using it to store some of our salvage because we had quite a we had a lot that we had more than could fit in our shop and the barn that we built behind um, and so um, and so it was um, a terrible loss uh, you cannot insure vacant property so it was a loss of about $70,000 between the money that we put into the building. And well, I'm so sorry to hear that, particularly with the loss of everything that you had stored in there. And, and I didn't even think about the fact that if a building is empty, you can't insure it, which just made it so much more catastrophic. Um, you know, the Hamburg Historic District, I um, always have known it as its nickname, the Gold Coast. How did that nickname come about? Do you know that? Well, I researched that. I, I when I was working on my, I went for a master's a few years ago, and and I did a lot of papers about Davenport and different parts of Davenport. And one I did was how did historic preservation start in Davenport? And in doing that research for that paper, I found um, a mention. I believe it was about 1953. It was a Bill Wondrum article about this neighborhood, and he called it the Gold Coast. He didn't say he was the first person to call it that. And he didn't, he didn't say, I'm naming it this. He used it in a way that sounded like it had been used before, but that is the first documented evidence that I have that it was, um, that it was used to do, describe this area. And he was talking about the families that lived here, um, and some of whom, you know, continue to live here for several generations, some of whom, you know, moved to other parts of Davenport. Or you know elsewhere, but um, so that's the first mention of it, I think, and that's the first I've found. Now there's probably another one. You had made a passing reference to your master's degree, and you know you're kind of a force in nature. You you earned your master's degree in your mid 60s in historic yep. preservation, and you know many people will recognize you as the third ward uh, alderwoman for Davenport, and on top of it, you run a consulting organization, the Davenport Historic Preservation Consulting. Uh, which mm -hmm. is an LLC. Looking back, what do you attribute the origin of your passion to? Um, you know what? I think about that often. And I think the reason my passion comes from the fact is that I was born in 1950. I grew up in a cracker box house that was built in 1949. I had, there was a lot of love, family love in that house, but it was the most plain, uninteresting house um, you know, that you could imagine. A square, it had two bedrooms, there were four kids eventually. Um, there was nothing historic about it. And as a child, I always loved that. Now, the other thing I attribute that to is that my family moved there. My, my mother and father, my mother from 
Louisiana, Mississippi, my father from Iowa. They came there after World War II, and that's where we I grew up and where they lived the rest of their lives. And I guess it was kind of looking for home. I've thought about that quite a bit. Um, it's I think I've always looked for home. Um, I'm very interested in genealogy. I'm interested not just in mine, but in others. Um, and and I think that's part of it. Um, so I have always as I've always been drawn to history. I've been drawn to older houses since I was a child. Um, I as I got, came to be an adult, I lived in old apartment buildings or old houses. I bought old houses. Um, I, I can't even imagine living in a new house or a new building. I, I can't even imagine it. So it just is something. Um, and, and then coming to Davenport, this great neighborhood that neighbors had really took taken, they took it back from the brink. Um, they had started doing research in this neighborhood in a way that other neighborhoods I lived in hadn't. And getting involved in that, it just really lit a fire for me. I retired from working in uh, local television in, in North Carolina and in Chicago and here in the Quad Cities. 32 years in television. And I guess I was sort of looking for something. I didn't realize it was going to take me here. I said to my husband at New Year's, wow, that I've had quite a decade. I'm not sure I can top that <laughs> between <laughs> 2020 and 2030, but it was quite a decade for me. Uh, the uh, 2010 to 2020 was, mm -hmm. you know, quite a decade for somebody who's 70. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, historic structures really do stimulate our imagination when you said that and our emotions and awake, I think, awaken in us that sense of possibility. They do. And and it's not just the, you know, I can get very affectionate about a house. I mean, I start to fall in love with some of these buildings. You know, you 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 learn about the history of who built them, the who lived there, what their lives were like. The, the, the tragedies, the triumphs, but more than that, even the collection of buildings in a neighborhood, and it can be the simplest neighborhood in a city. It doesn't have to be a fancy neighborhood. Um, it, it is that kind of sense of place that neighborhoods create. And the thing that you don't want to lose in, in especially um, challenged are the older parts of our city where pieces of neighborhoods start to disappear, houses disintegrate, uh, they're demolished. They're, they're lost to fire, um, and they're not replaced. And then you start to lose a sense of place. Um, and when when I say sense of place, I think everybody knows what that what that means. When you walk down the street and you understand where you are and you don't feel discomforted by anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not just talking about whether a, a neighborhood is well kept or not, but uh, a, a sense that there is something there. Um, and that's that's really that sense of place is a, a really, um, you know, it, it's a concept that historic preservation has really brought to the conversation of how we save our, 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 our heritage neighborhoods. I don't even care if they're, you know, deemed historic. And there's a very complicated way uh, that things are officially made historic. I talk about heritage neighborhoods. Um, and the need to keep the continuity and the sense of place in those places. Right. And again, I don't care if they're labeled historic or not. Um, it's well, important to people's well-being and to the health of cities. Absolutely. Well, Marion McGinnis, thank you so much for talking today and for all of your work helping to restore not just the Gold Coast area and Davenport, but other historic structures around the state as well. 
Um, it was my pleasure today. Thank you, Carolyn, for giving me this opportunity. You can learn more about the Gateway Redevelopment Group and their historic preservation work online by visiting grgdavenport.org. An architecture guide and walking tour brochure can also be downloaded at davenportgoldcoast.org. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal. Thank you.